Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. We're rapidly coming to the close of another season. We've just got a few episodes left. We uh, appreciate you so much for sticking around with us and continuing on uh, this journey. And uh, we hope that you will continue with us. We are uh, talking about Preacher Survey Says for this week. Uh, we did an episode on this uh, several weeks back now, and uh, Michael Clark joined me for that episode and uh, received some good comments about that particular episode, so appreciate uh, the comments. But uh, we've also got not only Michael Clark with us this week, but we've also got Jameson Stewart as well this time. And uh, we've got several different questions that we want to go through. Again, these are questions that I asked uh, a group of preachers in a closed uh, Facebook group. We're not going to give you their names, uh, those who responded to these questions, but really the idea of why we want to do this is we just want to kind of close the gap between uh, preachers and uh, the brethren, as we say, uh, just everyday Christians. And uh, sometimes there can be a little bit of a disconnect, uh, not intentionally, but sometimes that does take place. So uh, any thoughts on that, guys, before we get into some of these questions? Preachers are people too. Amen. And so are members and deacons and elders, and no one's perfect. And I think sometimes the biggest problem we get on all sides of this is we have too high of an expectation for certain groups. And then when they don't meet that high expectation, uh, these types of struggles come about. So if we could really approach it that way uh, when we talk about these things, that would probably be the best approach to do it. And I know that's what the intent behind this episode is. So I'm glad to be back. I'm glad that, uh, our good buddy, Fear the Beard, Jameson, is with us today, too. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to be here, guys. Good deal. You're absolutely right. Uh, preachers are people, too. And sometimes I think we put preachers on a pedestal that we really uh, shouldn't be doing. Uh, we don't need to exalt preachers. We need to exalt the word that is preached. Uh, and there's a difference there. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into our first question. And we're just going to kind of speak off the cuff here, uh, just whatever comes to mind. Uh, I do want to reiterate, let's try to keep this positive as, as much as we can. Some of the questions that uh, we have for this week will be in the negative-ish territory, but but still, let's try to keep this as positive as we can. So uh, the first question is, what challenges have you faced? Uh, actually, that's not the first question. Hang on. Uh, what are some ways that you support your elders? And uh, we will look at some of these comments. Uh, one brother says, uh, I have been given the privilege of serving as preacher and a fellow elder. In that role, I feel I can uniquely give the other elders guidance and personal insight regularly in private meetings that otherwise they would not have. I understand not every preacher meets the qualifications to be an elder, and some would not desire to serve in such capacity. I have found, however, that serving alongside them in this role can be beneficial. Guys, any thoughts about uh, those preachers who serve not only as the preacher, but also as an elder as well? Yeah, um, I know I know a, a few preachers, actually, <laughs> um, that have served well as both the preacher and uh, as one of the elders. Excuse me, but... And it's it's not easy. 
I mean, it's definitely a challenging role, not only to just preach or to just be an elder, but to do both is certainly challenging. So I know a few um, that have done that and have done it very well. And really sort of as Paul writes to Timothy over at the end of first Timothy chapter five, the, you know, the elders who rule well, who serve well and who labor both in shepherding and in teaching are worthy of double honor. Um, and I think that's, uh, it's definitely a challenging thing. And I'm grateful to all those who do it and do it well. Yeah. Jameson, uh, aren't you working on something? Uh, I think I saw you post something recently about uh, the roles of elders and deacon, I mean, elders and uh, preachers and kind of the differences between the two. Uh, maybe you could comment on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I've just been doing some, some reading. I guess I'm, I guess part of what I'm trying to do is prepare for maybe trying to pull some material together, maybe eventually teach a class. You know, we've got a lot of, uh, where I, where I serve and preaching, we've got a lot of younger guys, you know, late twenties, thirties, forties, a lot of guys in that group, a lot of them, uh, hopefully will one day be able to serve as elders. And so it's kind of more of a thinking about that role, making sure that, that this generation coming up, that they understand what the eldership is supposed to be. Um, it's not, sometimes I think we get this idea that elders are just, you know, they sit in, they're, they're a boardroom. They sit in this boardroom and they make decisions and that's all they do. And that's part of what they do. But right. if that's, if that's all that we think elders are, then we have a rather unbiblical point of view on what the eldership is. And so trying to study and gathering a lot of material to eventually at some point, probably teach a, a more in-depth class on that to just get our younger guys guys my age, a little bit older, make sure that they're thinking the right way about the eldership and hopefully one day becoming an elder themselves. So, Right. Michael, you have any thoughts? Yeah, it, it takes a special person to be able to serve as both an elder and a preacher. Uh, not to say that it hasn't been done. I agree with Jameson. I know of people who are doing that role, both both roles, very well and have been able to do that. I think the challenge is often present themselves with when does the elder hat have to come on and when does the preacher hat have to come on in a meeting like that. And I think that's often going to be the the struggle with everything going on uh, because obviously the preacher preacher could vote on certain things that maybe he just shouldn't vote on. You know, he, he could get in there and say, I think it's time for the minister to get a raise, a substantial raise even, of 10 grand a month. And then he could try to strong arm that. So obviously, you know, it takes a special individual to realize that there are still some things that, though he serves as an elder, probably don't need to come from him yeah. and probably still need to come from others. And so uh, I commend people that are capable of doing both uh, because that is, a, that is a challenge for sure. And I think that what Jameson's talking about with the, the younger people growing up, not knowing really what the eldership does and others in general that don't know what the eldership does. I think it's fair to say with some, not all, but I think sometimes elders don't really know what elders do either because they might be in a congregation where they've never had elders before and they're now establishing an eldership. And so they don't really have any leadership prior to be able to lean upon. And so I think a, a study like that is is going to be very beneficial when he gets that completed, and I'm looking forward to that, um, mainly because 
there are a lot of churches out there that I think want to establish an eldership. They really have no way and no knowledge of how to begin that process. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that that would be something that could help both those who are coming into the church and don't really know what elders do. And also those that are saying, Hey, we need elders, but we don't really know what they're supposed to do either. So how do we make this work? Right. It's kind of like on the job training. And, uh, we do have a question coming up on, uh, you know, what do you do when there's a situation when there, when there are no elders? So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that some more in, in just a moment. Uh, another brother said, uh, I just did a bunch of plumbing repairs for, uh, the church house this week as a way of helping the elders, but I don't know if that counts. Yeah. I'd say that that does count, you know, um, uh, Sometimes things like that need to be done, and, and the elders can count on people who have those uh, abilities to uh, be able to uh, help in, in those regards. It frees Another, up uh, the elders' time, definitely. which is definitely important in the work that they do. Yeah, um, that, that's kind of the principle in Acts chapter 6 where, uh, you know, it was apostles, not elders, but, but they were uh, needing to free up their time for ministry of the word. And uh, they appointed, you know, most believed to be deacons in that text so that they so the deacons could be the ones uh, serving those tables. And it doesn't need to be that we look at our contribution to the Lord's church as just something that's done in a plate on Sundays. Uh, Doing something like this, even if you're paid to do it, doing something like this is giving back to the work of the church and helping accomplish things in a way that need to be done. And it's important. It's what we see in Acts chapter two. Uh, verses 44 and 45, where as people had need, they took care of those needs. And certainly today there are needs to be taken care of so that elders can focus on the work that they need to be doing. Absolutely. Shepherding the flock. Uh, Another brother says, pray for them publicly and privately. Uh, Absolutely. And then another brother says, uh, great topic. Number one, I try to regularly commend them from the pulpit. Number two, I pray for them regularly. And number three, I buy books and materials to help them in their role. Any thoughts on any on any of those? Yeah, actually, uh, well, at the time of recording this, a few weeks ago, I preached uh, I preached a sermon both Sunday morning and Sunday night uh, from Psalm twenty three, and kind of looked at it from the standpoint of what our elders do for us as a flock, as a church, and it's you know that's something. I got to thinking about it before preaching that sermon. It's like, you know, I need to do this more often is remind us all the role that our elders have and and all the things that they are trying to the best of their ability to do in watching over and guiding and helping the flock. And the flock needs to hear, I think, from us as preachers. They need to hear us place ourselves in submission to the eldership. Because sometimes the the tendency sometimes is people, whether they realize it or not, they almost tend to look at us. They may not call us the pastor, but they look at us like we're in that role. And I think it's important for the preacher to remind everyone, look, we are all under the oversight, under the shepherds of this congregation. And this is what they're trying to do for us. And uh, Hebrews 13, 17, we need to obey them, respect them, submit ourselves to them for they watch out for our souls. And so I think that's something that, especially at least as preachers and those who teach, is something that we can do is preach sermons every once in a while that 
that uh, honor the elders and that remind the flock to obey and be in submission to them because we're not over them. They are the shepherds, not us. And they lead us all after the chief shepherd. I don't know if I mentioned this, though, the episode that we did together, Chase, but something that I often would ask my elders to do for me, I tried to reciprocate and do for them. I would ask if they requested what we would call a hard subject to be preached. I would say, well, I'll do it, but I would like the coordinating elder of the month to stand up after it and endorse it. I want you to, because that, that cut off a lot of the heads of people trying to complain about it when they know the elders have signed off on it. Well, Mm -hmm. I also think true to what Jameson said, the elders do so many things that the preachers probably see more than the members, but even the preachers don't know everything that they do because there's things done behind closed doors together where they're talking about something that the preacher doesn't need to know. And therefore he's not included. Uh, And so I think it's important to, Anytime it naturally lends itself, especially if you're talking about leadership in general in the book of Judges, and you're talking about how bad the leadership was then because people weren't following after God the way they should, there's a really good segue, though you're in the Old Testament, to say, aren't we thankful that here we have great leaders? Aren't we thankful that here we have good shepherds? Like Jameson said with Psalm 23, there's so much of an opportunity to be given just with almost any text where you could seemingly find a way to work in a compliment to your elders. And one of the things that helps with that, I've I've been in some situations, not many, but a few where people would try to talk about the eldership to me. And that's a slippery slope. I, I was never a fan of it and still I'm not a fan of it uh, because it, it's wrong. They need to go to the elders. But it's also a slippery slope because if I even agreed with a policy that, man, I, d- I didn't really like that either, but the elders have the right to make it, it's my responsibility to support them no matter what. And in, in one of my local works, the eldership told us as the preachers there that Whatever happens within the walls of that office while we meet, even if there's disagreement within those walls, the moment we walk outside that door, we are a united front. And though there were times where I didn't agree with what the elders did, though there were times they probably didn't necessarily completely agree with some of what we did, because there was a united front, the elders agreed we were going to go with it this way, we all were going to have each other's backs. And I think that that's important to regularly commend them from the pulpit, pray for them. I like the buying the books and materials too. I, I think that's a, an important thing to do because our responsibility to feed the flock does extend to the elders who are a part of that flock. And so giving them the opportunity to grow with materials that maybe we've studied and said, you know, I, th- I thought you'd like this. It's a really good book. Now I have, let me see here. Let me pull it. I've been reading it just for fun. I wouldn't recommend giving them this one, though, just as a, a fun side note. Uh, this book is by Will Perkins called If You Need a Minister. I wouldn't recommend any preacher giving them that book uh, because you might just be out of a job. Uh, but <laughs> true true to form, there are so many different books and materials on elderships and leadership that you might read something and say, I just thought you guys would find this interesting. You know, you certainly don't ever want to approach it as, now this is something you guys really need to be working yeah, like on. A- Passive aggressive kind of thing. Right. Or right. right. But yeah, yeah. I, I like I like what that brother said about 
those three things that he did, praying for them especially, is very important. Definitely. You know, it takes a strong man of character uh, to perform well in an eldership. And I like what you said about the united front. Um, it takes a humble man to remain united even when he has disagreed with uh, other men uh, in the eldership. So that lends itself to why it's so important to make sure that uh, we appoint the qualified and godly men uh, to the role of elder, uh, as we see in uh, Timothy and Titus. So let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and go to our second question. And that is, what challenges have you faced if you have worked with congregations without elders? So uh, I've got several comments on this one. One brother simply said, I could write a book about that. <laughs> and I hope he does. That would be an interesting book to read for sure. Uh, we're talking, what challenges have you faced if you have worked with congregations without elders? Uh, another brother said, uh, there was a time when I was preaching at a congregation without elders. The biggest challenge was seeing men who wanted it so that they could vote to have their way. Yeah, that's that's a big problem. I said, uh, would you mind elaborating a little more on this? Did you perceive a seemed motivation for this? And uh, that's where uh, he messaged me privately after that. Mm. And uh, here's what he said. He says, uh, in my previous work, we had elders and deacons when I began. We had a rotation of teachers for the adult class. There were a few men who did not want it. They also wanted to change some other things. One elder told uh, me that he was going to resign and didn't even tell the other elder before publicly resigning. The next meeting resulted in enough men voting to remove the rotation of teachers. We used, we used to have uh, arguments constantly in meetings, and that disturbed me. So when you go from having an eldership to going to uh, men's meetings, that can be a recipe for disaster. Do we want to kind of talk about that? Well, something, and I don't, I get, you think about the flock, you know, let's just think about a flock of sheep. <clears throat> How long could a flock of sheep live without shepherds? Right. Not very long. How long can a congregation of the Lord's church live without shepherds? I don't think for very long. Um, now, what is the timetable on that kind of stuff? I don't know. The Bible doesn't give any kind of timetable on that. But I do know this is, uh, I mean, obviously, sometimes you have a, a new congregation and you're not going to have elders for a little while. So there is a time period where it's like, okay, <laughs> You know, you're not going to have elders because maybe there's no one qualified because this is a new congregation. But there does come a time where there, if there's not elders, this congregation is not going to flourish and grow, but it's going to die. And yeah, I don't, I don't know all the answers to that, but I sure know that men's meetings are not the way to go. Yeah. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Yeah. yeah. I know it's not the exact same it, contextually speaking, but I think the phrase can apply here. In Revelation 3.1, the church at Sardis was told, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. You know, you, you seem to everyone around you that you're a thriving church, but in reality, if you were to peek inside and look into it, you're actually dead. You're not what you are professing to be. And I think what Jameson just said, though, again, 
Sardis was told this for a completely separate reason. They weren't told this because they didn't have elders. I think we can take the statement and say that there are a lot of churches out there, I believe, that those that don't have elders, they have a name that's alive, but in reality, like Jameson said, they're not really thriving. And they're probably on life support in a lot of ways. And so I, I think there's a, a very sharp contrast that needs to be made between the churches that have elders and those that don't. Not that one is better than the other just inherently, but one of them, just to be firm but fair, one of them is set up the way God intended and the other is not. And I right. think that we are, we are missing the point about that when an eldership is possible to happen, I, I understand there are some places where there may only be one man qualified, therefore you don't have a qualified eldership. But when you have men that might be qualified, but as was alluded to, some of them just want to keep it the way that it is so that they can have their say, that church would be borderline sinful in that regard because they are refusing to handle the pattern of the church's setup and leadership the way God intended. And I think that's a very, very strong uh, problem to have attributed to your congregation. I would hate to be the, the church on the day of judgment that could have an eldership, and yet the men were more concerned with their own vision being seen instead of God's vision being seen and have to face the Lord that day. Uh, yeah. Because how many things are stifled and stifled, I should say, probably by this mentality that, you know, you don't have an eldership. And so the things that need to be done aren't done. And really what almost always ends up happening in a lot of cases, at least with this. Men's business meetings turn out to just be business meetings, not church meetings. They're not really about the church and the things going on with it. It's. Well, the building needs to have this, and it's almost run just like it's an organization, and it's not the organizational setup that the Lord has made for the church. And so I really think, um, and we're about to allude to this, that you know that it's, it's a problem, and I don't want to be mean-spirited because I know of some good congregations that they just don't have any qualified men. I also know of some congregations, as I'm sure we all do, those listening and those just on the podcast even, they probably do have some qualified men that need to step up and do it. And I'll say this and I'll throw it back to you guys. One thing that I think we need to be careful about is if the Lord's church was so important that Jesus died for it, should it not have a greater importance if it has a need for me to step up, if I were able to be a qualified man to serve, to protect it, than to make any type of excuse to not do it. Mm-hmm. And there's a few that come to mind, and I'm going to say these, but they I, I want people to realize I'm saying these with, with love, but Jesus, is, Jesus came and died. God's son died for the church. Shouldn't it be the case then that we have people that, that don't just worry only about continuing to raise their family after they've had believing children, that they also are worried about making sure the Lord's family that meets where they are is growing too? And if they're capable of serving in that role, especially if there's no eldership and they and a few other men could do that. uh, Again, I just I would hate to have that example be true on the day of judgment for a congregation not doing what God wanted. And the second one would be how busy they are uh, to where they can't serve. You know, all of our kids have this and they have this and and my, my wife and I are doing this and we're involved in this. 
if the church is so important that Jesus would come and die for it, could I cut back on some of my activities within a month or a year to ensure that it continues to thrive if it doesn't have an eldership so that I could serve in that capacity? And I think both of those we know are are true that we could do that. So there's my my rant of the episode so far. Um, well, we uh, we often say the first qualification is to desire the work, and you know I think sometimes there are godly men who definitely qualify to be an elder, but they don't desire the work. My thing on that is, uh, would you really want to stand before God on Judgment Day? And he says something like this, you know, you were a CEO of a company, but you couldn't serve as an elder in my church. You know, you, right. you had all the qualifications, but you wouldn't do it. See, I just, I strongly feel that if, uh, if we truly as men qualify, uh, where's the disconnect and why is there no desire to serve in that capacity? And do we really want to answer to that? Uh, on the day of judgment? Well, I think the answers to that are sometimes a little bit more complex. Like sometimes uh, a man may not want to serve as an elder because he's seen how the elders have been treated before in the past. And maybe sure. he want you know, so, so that I'm, my thought is, is there's a lot of factors that could go into him not wanting, desiring the work. Some of it could be laziness. Some of it could be, you know, spiritual apathy. And if that's the case, then he's not qualified anyway. Right. Um, some of it could be he has seen um he has seen what it can be and he so but yeah I, I do think men that are qualified they need to think about this work because it is truly the most important work they could do in their life is serve as an elder serve as one of the shepherds of the lord's church so it, it's definitely something that men who are qualified need to think about doing where they are uh, because there's no more valuable service they could provide than that. I will say this, and I, I don't want to open up a huge can of worms when I say this, but I, I don't agree that the desiring of the work is a qualification to be an elder. Um, there's, there's a specific shift that appears in verse 1 to verse 2. This is a faithful, a true saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or an elder, he desires a good work. Then, verse 2, here's what you have to be in order to be a bishop, uh, all the way down to verse uh, 7. And so I, I understand what we mean by, you know, we got to desire it to do it. I think what verse 1 is really trying to, to stifle, stifle and kill is people saying you're just you're, you're greedy for power if you say you want to grow up and be an elder. I think that was the intent behind verse one. I don't think it was Paul's way of saying to Timothy, now, if they don't desire it, they can't ever serve. And I've, I'm, this, is, this is just a huge rant that I've got about this because it's, it's, a, it's a big problem right now. Many men have been convinced not to serve because there's not this innate desire within them to be an elder. And it's the same with preaching the gospel tool. If you don't have the, the passion to preach, you shouldn't do it. I disagree with that because I wasn't necessarily passionate about being a pulpit preacher, but I went to preaching school and I fell in love with studying the Bible every day. And like Jeremiah said, there was a fire in my bones. I couldn't contain it. I needed to develop it. Right. And I think we're doing a great disservice in the church by making 
something that is never explicitly said as a qualification, but more of just a declarative statement. If a man desires the work of a bishop, he desires a good thing. Don't don't tell him that's bad to desire the work of a bishop. Tell him it's a good thing. You know, we should tell our young people, hey, we hope you do grow up and be an elder someday. We've been telling people at the school lately, we need godly elders to be trained and served. So if you if you intend to come to MSOP and simply get the knowledge and then go back home and, and teach classes, preach on occasion from the pulpit, and then maybe serve as an elder there. You're still preaching whether you're pulpit or not. You know, you're yeah. you're helping the congregation grow. And I I'm getting fired up about it, and I'm sorry for that. But first Timothy three one bothers me the way that we have promoted it to be the the unseen qualification because it's not included in verses two through seven for a reason. It's yeah. not included in the, you know, it, it should have read this. This is a faithful saying. A bishop must desire the work, which is a good thing. He must then be blameless. The husband—that's how it should have read. If desiring the work was an absolute qualification, I look at it every time and just feel that it is the same thing. Not, not feel. I believe the way the text is saying it is: if a man wants to grow up and be an elder, don't tell him that's that's you know power hungry and tell him that he can't do that. Yeah. Encourage him because he's yeah. desiring a good work. Yeah, I think yeah. you're on the right track. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Jameson. I was just going to say, I think that's a good point. We also, you know, um, I think comparing it with 1 Peter 5, too, we can't go to the other end of the spectrum and force a man into the eldership. Exactly. Peter Peter makes that point. It, so it's somewhere in between that, you know. He can't be forced into it because, you know, some really bad things can come from that. Right. He right. can become bitter. And, you know, uh, if some, if a man is forced into a work he does not want to do, then he can become very bitter and there can be all kinds of problems. Uh, but I, I, I do see what you're saying, Michael. And yeah, I yeah. think, I think Paul's point to Timothy is like, look, if a man wants to serve as an elder, that's not a bad desire. That's a good desire yeah. right? Um, because it is a very important work. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good thing. That's a good desire to have. Now that man just desiring, it's not enough. Right. You got to have these qualifications. It's not just, enough to want to be an elder. There's a certain kind of man that this right. person, ha that this man must be. Yeah, that's a great point. I desire to be the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, but it's <laughs> yeah. not going to happen. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. It uh, might. Well, it might. You never know. That's a great point, though, Jameson. You know, how many people desire to do just anything? And just because you desire it doesn't make it so. And so I, I think what you said, it's it's not an either or, but a, a both. And, you know, I can't tell a man, well, you're going to be an elder. You've got to be, you know, that's, that's like yeah. you said, first Peter five, two. It's also important to, to remember, you know, here's an elder himself in first Timothy or first Peter five, two saying, can't do it by compulsion. You got to do it willingly. I know from experience, you got to do this willingly. It's, it can't be something you're forced to do. I think the, the way to, to merge both of those together, if I were to put it in apple pie order is, we really need to, to begin teaching from the pulpit the benefit of having godly men serving and that yeah. the desire should be that you want to help the church, not be over the church. Because yeah. even the elders, though they are over the flock, they're not over the church. That's yeah. Jesus' role. And yeah. so you're not, you're not taking the role. And I think, as Jameson said a, a little bit ago about the preacher himself, we're called pastors a lot of times by people or we're treated like one too. 
but we're not over the church, even as the minister. We're, we are submissive to the elders. We are supposed to be able to submit to that, you know, shepherds of the flock there. And I, I think that we, we've we got to start teaching because I, I, I don't know. I'm going to say this. I'm going to shut up. Um, I feel like we just expect godly men that are sitting in the pew with no mentorship to just randomly one day go, I'm ready to be an elder. And there are some people out there, First Timothy, you know, 3. And verse one, there are others that you kind of have to realize that talent within them for them by mentoring them and by doing that. And maybe the elders could do a, a job themselves of looking at men like that and saying, brother, I want to I want to take you under my wing and I want to study with you. I want to take you on some visits. And I really think that if we were to work together for a few years, that you would be able to be a, a great elder in this congregation. And maybe by seeing how that eldership reacts with certain things that are able to be seen by this man, they would desire the work. Yeah, I think that there might be an initial reluctance uh, on the part of a lot of men. And I think that maybe we might, and I'm just, I'm using a universal we here. We yeah. might uh, mistakenly, you know, have this mentality of, well, we're going to approach this guy and ask him if he wants to be an elder. And he initially says, no. Okay, well, Forget him. We'll never, ever ask him again. How about we we plant that seed in his mind and ask him? And if he says, well, I know or I'm not ready or I don't know, uh, why don't we uh, let it sit for a while and then ask him again a year and a half later and see if he's changed his mind? Uh, right. he, that initial seed of, of the thought of being an elder, maybe he's let it develop and grow. And if we approach him more than once— Maybe he'll realize, you know what, this really is important. And and through growing and maturity as he ages, he finally begins to realize, you know what, I do need to do this. Yeah, there need to be leadership classes at least one quarter of the year, every year. You don't have to do the same type of leadership courses, but you know, you need to have a study on the leadership of the church for one quarter. You need to have a study on great leaders of the Bible on another quarter or great leaders of the Old Testament, great leaders of the New Testament. That needs to be a focus, and I— I'm I'm a fan of preaching doctrine and teaching on doctrine. And I think that we need to to try to teach the whole counsel of God as best as we possibly can within a year's time. But I think there need to be we have young men's training courses. Why don't we have, you know, older men's training courses too, specific yeah. to try to cultivate cuz there are Tuesday morning Bible classes at some congregations for the men we don't really focus on leadership in those a lot of times. We, we, we pick a book of some other person that wrote on a subject, usually about heavy doctrinal matters. We teach that, and then we pick a new book, and we keep going. And I think that we're missing a very key aspect of what you know cultivating church growth is because church growth is two things. It's growing the, the congregation itself numerically, but then it's also growing those who are already within the congregation spiritually to the yeah. point where they could serve in that way and help in those areas. Jameson, you look like you had something, and then we'll move on to the next uh, couple of comments. Now, I was just going to say is I think developing the next, you know, round of, I guess, leaders of the church, I think that responsibility tends to fall on the elders and also the preacher, because you take what Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter one, where he tells Titus, hey, you go and appoint elders, in, in all these churches we went through, you go to each of those churches and you appoint the elders there. So the preacher, you know, obviously our job is to proclaim the word of God and helping people to say, hey, here's what God says. And here's 
you know, how you need to respond to what God has said. And so I think it's kind of a team effort between the shepherds and the preacher to see to the development of the next generation of leaders. Um, but that was just what I was thinking about. Absolutely. Uh, those were the things that were lacking uh, that elders needed to be appointed. Uh, here's a couple other comments on this one, and we'll need to move on pretty uh, pretty quick. But uh, this says, there is a tendency for men's business meetings to rarely, if ever, involve spiritual matters. Uh, Michael, you had kind of talked about this earlier. Another brother said, amen to that. Uh, I have seen men spend hours discussing who will bring the fried chicken or the sides for a gospel meeting meal, but zero discussions on how to bring the lost to Christ. That's just uh, missing the forest for the trees if I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one other comment on this one, and, and then we will uh, go on to our next question. Uh, this brother also privately, privately uh, discussed with me on this one. Uh, and this is paraphrasing his words. Uh, this was a f- from a phone congregation. But uh, this brother said, uh, brother, I don't even know where to start. We're talking about working with congregations that don't have elders. I don't even know where to start. I had two really bad experiences. Both came from not having elders. The biggest issue and challenge was times when the brethren felt like the preacher didn't need to be in the men's meetings. They don't realize what that does to a preacher. As a young preacher, I had an attitude toward visitation of, I've got to care, instead of, I want to care. And so uh, this particular brother is kind of admitting that as a young preacher, his visitation policy really wasn't uh, what it should have been. Uh, It was for the wrong reasons, essentially. He says, this hurt my relationship with the men that locked me out of the men's meetings. I wish I had taken a more genuine interest uh, in the interest of the brethren. And uh, I think that's important. I want to pause and note 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. For those of us listening who are preachers, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 22 and 23, it says, uh, To the weak, I, that is Paul, became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. We all as preachers need to have that attitude of, hey, let's let's meet the people where they are. Let's find out what their interests are. Let's spend time with them. And when we sow those seeds of spending time letting those people know that we care about them, then they'll be more inclined to listen to what we have to say uh, about the gospel. But uh, anyways, this brother continues. He says, men that don't want elders so they can have their say is a big problem. And uh, we mentioned that already earlier. Two congregations uh, that he was a part of uh, almost merged. And uh, unfortunately, this mentality of the men uh, wanting to keep their say kept it from happening. One congregation had elders and one did not. The one without elders did not want the other congregation's eldership because they would lose their say. You get into a situation where every man's opinion matters, including the guy that doesn't know anything biblically that just started coming last week, quote unquote. Churches sometimes are more concerned with how many people are in the building, whereas a good eldership is more concerned with the number of faithful brethren going to heaven. Emphasis becomes more about number of baptisms only rather than actual faithfulness that should follow the baptisms. Guys, do y'all have any thoughts on that before we move on to our next question? Well, that's just the whole difference between 
having qualified men serving as shepherds and not. I mean, the qualified men serving as shepherds, their priorities are going to be what the priorities should be. Um, if you have a group of men, a men's business meeting running things, then you've got men in there who are not qualified to be serving as shepherds. Um, maybe, and perhaps to give them the benefit of the doubt, sometimes it may not be anything uh, nefarious on their part. It may just be that they're relatively young in the faith and they have not matured yet to the point where they would be qualified. But even then, you know, God put those qualifications in for a reason. It's because the qualified men, they are the ones who truly understand what this role is all about. And if, if you don't have these qualifications, then you're going to misunderstand the role of the church, your role as you know leader, so to speak, of the church. And it's just, yeah, it's, there's all kinds of problems when we don't follow what God has said. Yeah, there's inconsistency with men's business meetings. A lot of times, uh, for example, the person who might have just started coming the, the last week, I've heard of some where that every man gets a say, every man. And then you have non-Christians even want to show up to the meeting too. And then what do you do with that? But I find it interesting that sometimes it's every man gets a say, and then they qualify that sometimes with every Christian man gets a say. Okay, what about the 11-year-old that was just baptized? He's, he's a baptized. He's not a man yet, but he's baptized. And if you just say you have to be baptized to be in the men's business meeting, does he get to come now? Does he get to be a part of it? And there's just so many things that would not be a problem if we just had elderships because you wouldn't even have to worry about it. Or that person that clearly has, you know, a bee in their bonnet about one specific doctrine. And every time it's talked about, they're going to throw a fit. I heard of a preacher who at the end of the year and in this congregation with men's business meetings, they would sit him down and read every complaint they had about him from that year. Elders don't really do that. They might tell some of the complaints they have, but Elders that are worth their salt, I've never heard of an eldership that has said, now sit down and we're going to tell you for two hours or more every complaint that we've heard about you this year. How many wow. How many years did he last? Several, several <laughs> years there. Um, wow. He's not there anymore. I uh, wonder why. But, um, you know, that, that's that's a huge issue. And it's it's something where it's it's missing the forest for the trees. That's That's a great way to put it. Well, I think too is, and this is just something that I've, um, I don't know. This is, I'll try to be quick here. Cause I know we're, well, we still got a little bit of time, but, um, growing up, um, I experienced, or, or you know, as a young kid growing up into a teenager, um, we attended several different places that, you know, they had, uh, basically, uh, problems that arose and they had elderships, but then the eldership, dissolved or there was no longer an eldership there, or there was this big split in the congregation associated with something along the lines, maybe with one of the elders. And I saw that two or three times at two or three different places growing up. Um, and then later on about age 16, we moved somewhere. And for, I guess you could say the first time in my life that I, that I was at least old enough to really pay attention to, is I found we finally found a congregation with a good, solid, faithful eldership who is what God wants them to be. And I say all that to say this, I think some brethren have never have never experienced 
the kind of eldership that God wants his church to have. And once you experience it, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, once you have attended somewhere, whether you've preached or just attended there, once you have attended somewhere where this is an eldership the way God intended it to be, it'll totally, it's it's night and day difference. Very refreshing. Yes. And the church then is what God wants it to be when that happens. And it's just, so that's something I think for churches that are going through challenging times is that, you know, get to what God wants. And I think you will be, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but I think you will be amazed at the blessings of God that will come upon the congregation when we are what God wants us to be. Very good. Let's, uh, Let's look at this next one, and uh, this question is, what is the greatest hindrance to your work? Uh, this will be a, a shorter one. We only got a couple of responses on it. Uh, sometimes us. Sometimes we stand in our own way because we misplace our priorities. We get caught up in a mindset of woe is me uh, or because of our own personal struggles with sin. What do you all think about that? I agree. Yeah, I'd say for me personally, the greatest hindrance to my work is myself. Um, yeah. Either, you know, my expectations of myself are unrealistic or I try to put too much on my plate or whatever the case may be. I'm I'm the greatest hindrance to my work. Um, and so and I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to continue to hopefully uh, maintain that humility about ourselves. Um, but at the same time. Let's not let's not uh, resign ourselves to our failures. We do need to, as preachers, just like all Christians, we need to work on the things that we struggle with, uh, our hangups, uh, our insecurities, what have you. Um, sometimes we as preachers, we get the Jeremiah complex, and we become a 21st century weeping prophet. And we, uh, we have this idea of woe is me, and, you know, Jeremiah had it. And at one point he felt like quitting and uh, the fire though was in his bones and he, he could not contain it. And he kept preaching Elijah. I think of Elijah, same, same basic concept. He, uh, he wanted to quit at one point. He fell down under a broom tree and basically said, just kill me. God told him, uh, you know, Elijah thought he was the only one, but God ends up telling him, no, there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So you, you get back up and you keep doing what I need you to do. I think we need to remember that as preachers, um, and just make sure that we, we keep on, we keep doing it. We keep on preaching. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, all of us are in our thirties. I think there are a lot of guys who are preachers who are leaving preaching altogether. And, uh, that's a really sad thing. Um, something's got to change to keep that from happening. I don't know what y'all think about that. I, years ago, I think it was 2017, at polishing the pulpit, Dan Winkler did a sermon on didn't Mary have a cheaper perfume. And in that lesson, he said a lot of things that are still a problem today, but one of them that resonates with preachers at least is, and I'm going to have to paraphrase because I don't have it memorized, but um, you know, you, you say our preachers are not pastors and I believe it, but then you treat them like office managers. Basically, overwhelming them with tasks that prevent them from being able to have the time to study the Bible. And 
I don't, I, I know this probably needs to be an, a whole episode at another time, Chase. If you want to do that, I'd be happy to join and talk about it. But, um, it is my understanding from what I have studied throughout the Bible that a preacher's main job in the congregation, from what scripture says, is to preach and teach the Bible, and that a Christian's job is to go out and visit the sick and take care of this pure religion and undefiled. It doesn't say that about the preacher. It's to visit the widows and the orphans and those that need help and taking care of them. Acts chapter 2, 44 through 45 talks about the whole church did things to help each other out. But to be fair, and I'm I'm comfortable being the only one saying this because I'm not associated with a local work anymore, and, and if you guys don't want to comment on it, that's fine, but to be fair, too often the preachers are tasked with doing certain things that really the elders are supposed to be doing and that the church themselves are supposed to be doing. And I did have some people on more than one occasion in, in many of the works that I had before I left local work that would say, well, your job is to visit. And no, it is not. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, love, I love the Bible enough to speak where it speaks and to be silent where it's silent. There is no job description as far as I've been able to find that says the minister's job is to visit and then hopefully have enough time to prepare sermons. And visitation is a good thing. And I think it's a, it's an important part of the work as a minister, not because he's the minister, but because he's a Christian, because he's supposed to love the brethren. But too often, you know, if we tell the minister he's got to visit an entire day every week, he has to do that. Well, what about the days when someone falls ill unexpectedly? What about the days when someone dies unexpectedly? What about when his own family has a tragedy and has something come up where he has to then leave and go take care of that? When does he study? And if he cannot study, if he's told not to be a studious preacher, he either has to neglect his family to study at night so that he can be prepared on Sunday, or he has to neglect the church to study during the day so he can be prepared on Sunday. And I, I think we're just we're at a point right now where a lot of preachers are leaving local work because they're sick of seeing preachers being beaten up by some of the congregations, basically telling them you've got to work 90 hours a week and then you get paid for 40 of those hours. And I, I think that that's a, a struggle that we have to be willing to look at. And that's a great hindrance to the work of a, of a preacher itself. And there's my second rant and I'm done. Um, hey, uh, let me, uh, let me say this, uh, I agree with what you just said. Uh, you know, you did mention that the job of the preacher, his primary role is to preach. The job of the Christian is uh, to do some of these other things. Preachers are Christians, and so we yeah. should be doing some of these things. Absolutely, as our Christian duty. Um, but we can't do all of it. Right. And, you know, if let's say you preach for 100 people. Um, a preacher by himself cannot adequately do all the visiting for 100 people. He's There's just not enough time in the week to do it and uh all the christians in that family that that congregation need to together be doing those things so that there is that familial love throughout the whole congregation um it's uh again it's it's a situation i I say this sometimes when i'm talking about uh helping people you know matthew chapter 25 at the end of the chapter it talks about jesus paraphrasing he, he says i was sick I was thirsty. I was hungry. You, uh, you visited me. You took care of me. You, you gave me food. You gave me drink, or you didn't, right? And so the job of all Christians is to take care of those needs. 
can I take care of everybody's needs? Of course not, but I can help somebody. And if every Christian would have this mindset of, I can't help everybody, but I can help somebody, then in a congregation of 100 Christians, you've got 100 Christians helping 100 or more people, and and you're going to experience the edification and the growth of the body that God intended. Let me also just say this. That's uh, James 5, verse 20. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the preacher. Is that what that says? (laughs) Yeah. It actually says, let him call for the elders. So just just let that one sink in a little bit. Um, And I appreciate you mentioning that, Michael. Um, Speaking for myself, uh, I am in a wonderful situation here where I'm at, where uh, this isn't a problem at all. We've got wonderful Christians here that that all uh, share the weight equally when it comes to that. But I will say that I know of many other situations where the preacher is uh, just wearing himself thin because he's expected to do all of it. Right. Yeah, and really that fall, I mean, kind of the same thing here is we've got good elders here, and they, I'm able to, you know, go visiting when I can, and I'm able to focus on studying and so that I can preach and teach. And really kind of like you mentioned in James 5, I mean, the the scene to those who are suffering, who are sick, who are struggling with sin, who who has the primary responsibility of, I guess for lack of a better term, checking up on those folks? Falls on the elders of the church. Is the shepherds, the those who are watching over the flock. Now the preacher and every other Christian, should they be involved to some extent? Yes, absolutely. That's every Christian needs to be involved in helping others and helping their brethren. But the task of overseeing all that, of watching over the flock, falls on the shepherds of the elders of the flock. Yeah. And again, I just want to reiterate, I appreciate my elders tremendously. We have three elders here that are great men, and uh, they listen to the podcast, and I appreciate them for doing that too. Uh, but they really do uh, an outstanding job on these sorts of things. So, again, we're speaking to general situations that a lot of preachers are dealing with. So just keep this in mind. Uh, if you're uh, an everyday Christian, uh, you want to keep these things in mind. Uh, another uh, brother on this question of what is your greatest hindrance to the work? Uh, he says recept- receptivity of the world. And I think what he meant by that is, you know, a lot of the world just doesn't want to hear. Uh, the gospel. Of course, we know that going in. And then another is a disorganization. So again, I think that would be uh, on his part, you know, uh, preachers just owning up to our own um, difficulties. And then another would be procrastination, which again, would be uh, uh, a problem on his part as well. And we probably all struggle with uh, procrastinate, procrastination from time to time. Jameson, you're the man on that. You're always uh, putting a lot of content out on uh uh, your blog and stuff like that. How, how do you fight procrastination? Uh, well, it's weird because I guess some things I struggle with procrastination and others I don't. And I think it just, I don't know. I think it comes down to like things you get in the habit of doing. Yep. It's just part, becomes part of your daily routine. And once you get in the habit of doing it, you just keep doing it. Yep. Um, things that are not maybe so much as like daily routine, those are the things that tend to get pushed um, and you procrastinate those things because it's not in what you normally do every day. Um, That's kind of been my experience. The things I procrastinate on are the out of the ordinary daily routine stuff. 
Very good. Yeah, I think it takes like two weeks to to make a routine, a habit, or something like that. That's definitely something uh, that we need to keep in mind for sure. What is your greatest hindrance to your family? So we're talking about hindrances to the work, and now we're taking it to a, a next level. What is the greatest hindrance to your family as a preacher? So this is a this is a sad one, um, especially this first comment we're going to read. Um, but I think it is important for Christians to keep these things in mind. Sometimes uh, I think, I don't know if it's part of uh, putting preachers on a pedestal like sometimes takes place, and we think, oh, uh, they're above problems. They're above difficulties. Absolutely, that is not the case. Uh, we struggle just like everyone does, and sometimes our families struggle, etc. So I think we really need to keep this uh, in mind. Uh, this particular brother, what was causing hindrances to his family? And unfortunately, if I'm not mistaken, this brother has left preaching. Uh, he says, rumors and gossip. It really eats away our happiness and trust and erodes the desire to assemble with the church. It caused me to lose the ability to focus, and it caused me to keep people at arm's length. This led to us not wanting to show up. When we do show up, we don't get involved in any way. It makes us not, at, uh, not attend any fellowship events outside of worship and makes attending worship seem obligatory instead of something to look forward to. It makes it to where we do not even want to invite other people to come or do Bible studies. It even got so bad that we considered starting a new congregation. Rumors and gossip is a truly terrible plight and a stain on the Lord's church. And every time I've tried to help bring it to light, it became a moving sermon, quote unquote. In other words, pack your bags, get ready to move. I guess I am too interested in justice and doing things the right way and respecting my fellow brethren and, and humans, but I don't know. Uh, I love this brother. I actually went to school with this particular brother. Um, I really hate that sometimes we send guys who are brand new to preaching to some of the most difficult works. And they really get burnt, and uh, you hate to see guys burn out. Um, I, you know, some some of the old time preachers have stated, you know, we send our young guys fresh out of preaching school to the hardest congregations, and we send the the guys with the most experience sometimes to uh, the well established congregations with elderships, and they they pay well and all this. Uh, and he says, you know, we've got it backwards. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, why we talked about this briefly why are we losing so many guys uh that are around our age they're not preaching anymore a lot of it's stuff like this so y'all got any comments about that yeah i'll make a quick comment about it and then i'll that i'm gonna have to dip out of the program but i think y'all will uh y'all yeah. will keep going but uh, no problem jameson but yeah i think uh you know, something I've observed is, you know, for younger guys, especially younger guys, and maybe this is true for anyone, but, you know, it's probably, it's not necessarily a bad idea. Your first few years out of preaching school, since we're talking about preachers is, you know, if, if you're struggling and you're not so sure about maybe the opportunities you have to go work somewhere, then go work with a congregation, even if you're just attending and, you know, just serving in the congregation in some way. Go work with a congregation under a good, solid eldership and kind of get your feet wet in that way. Maybe you're teaching class. Maybe you're preaching on occasion. 
and make sure your first experience in the work is with a good, faithful congregation, with a good, loving, caring eldership who stands for the truth. Make sure that is your first experience, because like you said, sadly, there's a lot of guys that they have that first or uh, those first two or one bad experiences. And it just that can really kind of uh, set guys on the wrong track as far as the work goes. Um, so I yeah. guess that would be kind of my advice. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, preaching internships if they're available. Uh Jameson, appreciate you so much for uh, helping us. And uh, if Michael, if you're good, we'll continue on. Um, okay. Yeah, so uh, see you later, Jameson. Appreciate It'll your thoughts. Appreciate y'all. Y'all finish out strong now. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Jameson's on his way to pick up his daughter, I believe. So, but appreciate his thoughts. Uh, we've just, we don't have a whole lot longer, but uh, uh, Michael, what do you think about that? I, I agree that gossip is a problem. Um, I also think that we've had a tendency with sometimes we, we say that certain things are gossip that are not really gossip. And I'm not saying that's what happened here, but I, I need to make sure that I'm consistent with what I've, what I've been teaching myself. And that's uh, gossip is not something that I know is true. And I'm telling somebody in confidence what has happened to get counsel or to get something that we, we really mean slander a lot when we use the word gossip. And I think that's what this brother was talking about is slander, uh, the, the types of things that are not proven to be true. You cannot prove them, and therefore they are they're slander. It's, it's just wrong. There's no reason that it should be that way. And uh, I, I never liked hearing in any elders meeting, and I heard it a lot, and in, in not just in one work that I had, but I heard it a lot of different places, uh, the, the whole, well, people are saying, okay. Can I meet with these people? No. Well, why not? Well, but they don't want to do that. Well, who and who I, is it? Do exactly. these people have a name? Oh, I would well, say, uh, hey, you know, can I need to? Uh, evidently, I've done something wrong. I need to go and apologize to these people. Can I? Can I request that I'm given their name after this meeting, even in private? And I'll go handle it private. No, we don't want to do that. Okay. I finally. I don't know why I did this, but one one particular time I finally said, well, if those people don't want to come and say it to my face, I'm not even going to entertain what they've said about me. And I think that there needs to be that understanding that too too many people hide behind the people are saying when in reality, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's just the elders are saying and they don't want to say it that way. Or sometimes it's just, you know, their wife is saying, or sometimes it's a, a family member that is saying, or sometimes it's their buddy in the congregation that is saying, if you cannot go and say it to the preacher and any elders that are listening, you know, I, I implore you to please don't sit in a, a preacher down and say, people are saying, sit down and say, this complaint has been made against you. We wanted to make you aware that it happened so you can go and deal with it with this individual. Should you need our assistance, we'd be happy to sit in with you, but we wanted you to be made aware of it. Because in reality, the people are saying a lot of times means that I've done something bad enough that the elders are having to get in. My boss has to get involved. The people who are employing me have to get involved. And if that's the case, if that's what's happening, well, people are saying that I need to either change or maybe not have a job anymore. That's usually what it means. 
but it never ends up that way. And people don't know, don't always look at it that way. And it, 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 it frustrates me when slander like that is said. Um, I had a situation once where during a Bible class, a, a deacon called me down in front of about 40 people. And that was a really rough day. And he said a lot of things about me that I, I thought were slanderous in their nature. And thankfully, that situation resolved with that deacon repenting and, and changing. Uh, and he even resigned to his credit. You know, he said, I can't I can't do this anymore. I'm not fit to serve. I commend him for that because he handled what happened after the right way. But I know that there were several people that day that they they were disheartened by what had happened. And I've often wondered, too, were there anybody there that day, though, that thought, yeah, he's right. Because if we're not careful, what we say in public or even in private becomes truth. And yeah. we have to make sure we have the truth when we do that. Uh, that is that's, a huge, huge that's problem. Where those, uh, that's where those seeds of discord are sown. Right. And, and uh, how many preachers' wives have walked by thinking the, the members think that they can't hear them, and that preacher's wife walks by and hears, I just can't understand why that preacher preaches so long. And she yeah. hears all these things, and she's she's taking on some damage too. Or you know, their, their kids are just so unruly during the service. Yeah, her, their kids are unruly because daddy's up there preaching, and he can't get down and handle the kids. And mama's having to corral two or three kids on her own. Back off! I, I'm sorry. Like if you you think they're unruly, go sit with her and help. You know that that yeah. frustrates me because my wife didn't choose for me to be a pre. I chose that life. And then she's having to sit there and try to corral two kids. That's not easy. And in right. reality, a lot of the people that say that either don't have kids themselves or their kids are grown and they have forgotten conveniently that they used to struggle with the same thing. So it, 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 it gossip and slander, people hear you when you think that they don't. People know that it because it gets around. If you're willing to say it behind their back, somebody's eventually going to hear it that will come back and say, I heard such and such about you. And it is it is a problem that those are often moving sermons. They don't need to be. They need to be heart moving yeah. sermons. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. A couple things. I sometimes say that, in my opinion, gossip and the associated sins are probably the most common sins committed by by a lot of Christians. So we just need to be careful to root that out of our lives if we're if we're gossipers. And the other thing is, make sure you don't hold a a preacher to a double standard, um, you, you know, with what you mentioned about the kids in the pew and they're, they're rowdy and they're, they're uh, making a little noise or what have you. That's something that is a good point. It's now, now not ever, not all discipline takes place in the right then and there. Um, right. I mean, there is discipline that should be happening in the home that hopefully will, will come out in better behavior uh, in the pew. But for some kids, it takes time. You know, it takes years of training to get them to where they need to be on that. Uh, and others, other kids are a little bit more naturally just well-behaved for whatever reason. You know, I've, I've got four children, and, and three of them are, are old enough where we're really starting to see their personalities and their strengths and weaknesses. And I've got a couple that are more naturally rowdy than others, you know. Um, but you do have to understand that that's everybody who's got kids is going to be having to deal with stuff like that. So yeah. I appreciate you mentioning that as well. Uh, here's another one, another comment. Uh, again, we're talking about what's the greatest hindrance to your family. Uh, this brother says mostly expectations. 
uh, put on the preacher's family that is not put on the families of the other members. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. He says, I usually make it clear when I accept a ministry position that they are hiring me, not my family. That's a good point, too. Um, and sometimes, especially with like the preacher's wife, sometimes it's a two for one package, mm-hmm. or at least that's the expectation. Right. Well, no, you hired the preacher. You didn't hire the preacher's wife. Uh, a lot of times preacher's wives have a, a very large plate that they're dealing with themselves. A lot of preacher's wives, not all, but a lot of them end up being stay at home moms. And, and that's actually a, <laughs> that's a difficult job. Um, right. A lot of them perhaps may be homeschool children or, or what have you. Uh, others may be their teachers uh, in the school system or uh, maybe they're a nurse, etc. I'm just saying that, you know, the preacher's wife has a lot on her plate already. So don't right. expect uh, that you're getting a ladies day speaker when you hire a preacher or what have you. Now, maybe you will, and that'd be a bonus, but that's a bonus. That's not, that shouldn't be part of the package. So, so to speak. Right. And it, I, I said to uh, some of the congregations that I tried out for and even some of the ones that had hired me, you know, hey, uh, my wife is not being hired, just as what was mentioned. You're not hiring my family, you're hiring me. But I, I did politely say, now, if you guys would like to hire her, we could talk about a paycheck uh, for her. But if you're not willing to do that, uh, please don't expect free labor just because she's married. And I, I think it's important that we we – point out to these congregations if we say something like that my wife did not choose this life for me i chose to be a minister she is supporting me that doesn't mean that she needs to be lumped in to every single thing that i do as a minister just because she married me my wife's a nurse and uh it's actually would be inappropriate for me to be lumped in to a lot of the things that she does as a nurse because I wasn't hired when they hired her. And I think the church has to realize not not everything about the church needs to be a, a business venture, but I do think that there are situations where it's a, it's prudent for us to realize there are some business aspects to it. And that would certainly be one of them. Uh, before we move on to the, the last one here, though, the, the greatest hindrance to the family, since Jameson had kind of talked about his, the, the one for, for me was, uh, it, it just kind of alludes back to what we talked about earlier. When expectations are high for the minister, even if they're not necessarily that high where you're at, the minister knows that the the typical viewpoint is we need to be X, Y, and Z. And so mamas and daddies don't get to spend time with their children when they're working all the time. And daddy doesn't get to be home as much if he's working all the time. And so... um I, I know you know this about me, and I know some of the ones listening know it about me. I'm a night owl in part because I can work more at night and not neglect my family. I learned that from my dad. You know, he would take care of us during the day uh, when we were home and he was home. He would still work during the day, too. But then at night, he got the majority of his stuff done at times during the hours of, you know, 10 p.m. to 3 or 4 a.m. because all of us were in bed. And so a great hindrance to my family had had for a while been the same thing. And I've tried to make more of an effort, especially now that I'm on the road all the time. I try to make an effort when I am home to take a couple extra days and spend with the family or watch the kids so my wife can go to work and do some things that I wouldn't normally get to do. And I've, I'm thankful for good elderships like you mentioned, Chase, getting to serve under and elders that have been known to say even to some 
in certain situations, you know, your family is important. You need to take time and spend with them. And if you don't do that, we're going to have a problem. And so, you know, the, the church that doesn't treat you like an office manager and tells you, hey, we know you get two off days a week, but we just have vacation Bible school and you were working like a dog during that week and you you pulled 12 hour shifts every day than normal. You're going to take this next week off and we're going to mm-hmm. give that to you or an eldership to say, hey, the gospel meeting is this week. You're obviously not going to be preaching. We want you to take this week and do some light office work. And the next week during the meeting, you just focus on your family. And if you want to take some of the, you know, the preacher out and do some stuff, we'll help cover some of those expenses. Uh, if you want to take him to dinner a couple of times, we'll cover the expense. Like we, I think we need to give some of those, you know, staycations a little bit to the preachers yeah. and say, this is a week where you're not doing a lot of the work itself, uh, preaching, but there's other things you're having to do. So rest. That's what Elijah was told. You know, the journey's too much for you. Rest. Yep. I think we need to be doing that for the preachers too. Yeah. I want to brag on my elders uh, a bit more. Um, one time I remember, uh, I can, I could say several good things, but one time I, uh, I think I had just gotten back from a, a family visit and, uh, one of my elders could tell I was really tired and, uh, preached Sunday and he said, you're tired, huh? From visiting family. I said, yes. And he said, why don't you take a couple of days to rest? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, since you just got through doing that, I had already taken some days off to go visit family. And he said, Hey, take a couple more. I just really appreciated that. Yeah. And then, uh, one thing I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, when I first came here, the, uh, the elders told me, they said, Hey, we have fifth Wednesday singings. Uh, so four times a year on the fifth Wednesday, we have singing nights. You take any of those that you want and you go back to Louisiana and you see your family. I, I just yeah. really appreciated that. That was a huge selling point to me because I yeah. knew a little gesture like that. I knew that they were going to take care of me and they were going to care about me and not only my family, you know, my immediate family here that I'm uh, a husband and father to, but also my family back in Louisiana as well. And then one other thing, uh, uh, one of the preacher's wives, uh, and I won't embarrass her, I won't say, say her name, but I mean, uh, one of the elder's wives, she told me one time, she said, hey, we know you have small children. So if you need to run and do some things from time to time, we understand that. No big no big deal. And that was a big gesture to me, too, because I realized, you know what? Uh, they understand. They get it. And I really, right. really appreciate that so much. Not every congregation treats a preacher like that. No, they don't. And it's good that they do, because like it or not, whether people want to realize it or not, we're soldiers in a, in a sense where we do deploy Spiritually speaking, we work all year. We do these types of things and we work long hours uh, because if you get home and I'm sure this has happened to you at least once, Chase, if you get home, you plop down in your easy chair and you're ready to relax for the night. What's going to happen? That phone's going to ring and it's somebody that's going in for triple bypass surgery in an hour and they're on their way to the hospital and you've got to rush up there and pray with them. And now you've got to be with the family. That stuff happens and you're going to be called into action to do those things. And Uh, We had a situation once where Megan and I had not seen each other for a while because she was working nights. She had a rare night off, and we were looking forward to spending that time together. We were going to have dinner at home and just relax. My phone rang, and uh, a brother at the congregation where I was working for said, I'm up here at the hospital. I'll let you know when you need to come pick me up. (laughs) And I said, well, okay, I guess I know what I'm doing tonight. Well, then he never called me back, and so I thought, well, I guess I, I got lucky, and he got a ride and didn't need my help. 
No, he ended up needing me. And we lived 35 minutes from the hospital where he was at. So I drove the 35 minutes, picked him up. And he said, well, I need to get something to eat. I said, okay. So we took him to a place to get something to eat. Megan had to go to bed for the next day, you know, for something she had to do at by 1130. So we didn't really have a ton of time that night anyway. And I'm driving him and I thought, and he's, his address is closer to the church building. And I live 10 minutes from the building. It was 10 minutes further from me. And I thought, well, maybe he didn't know that, you know, one of our other ministers and one of our other, you know, members, they live out this way. And so he must not know where I live. So I pointed out my neighborhood as we were driving by it. I said, yeah, that's where we live. And he goes, yeah, I know, I know. And I'm thinking, so I, I had to take an hour and 45 minutes to go and pick you up and make sure you're fed and all. And I missed that time with my wife. Yeah. And there was another person that you could have called to come out and get you. And they would have been more than happy to do it. And they, they weren't trying to spend time that night with their spouse. They didn't have the same uh, difficulties with spending and seeing their spouse. So I think sometimes it's just like having a congregation like you just described where they say, hey, sometimes that's going to happen. And you need to do that. I'm blessed where I work now where sometimes um, Brother Kevin, who is directly over me, he'll say, you got to spend time with your family. Make sure yep. you're spending time with your family. And so I'll go to him and say, Brother Rutherford, I've been on the road for three of the last four weeks. Um, the, the month of February usually comes to mind. I'm, I'm only in town in February for four days of the month every year. And so those four days, I, I don't usually go into the office unless I have a tour at school or something going on because I'm gone from my family the other 24 days. And thankfully, the eldership that oversees the school, the director, and also Brother Kevin – they're all supportive of that. Right. And I'm thankful when those elders come up to me and say, Hey, you need to spend time with your family. Don't come in. Don't, if you need to spend time, go. That's important. We need that. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And, and you know, these sorts of things, they'll, uh, they'll be the difference between a preacher staying two or three years versus staying 10, 15, 20, et cetera, yeah. years. Because if you treat them right, uh, he knows more than likely he knows uh, through prior experiences for himself or through experiences of uh, some of his fellow preachers, you know, that he knows that not every congregation treats a preacher very well. And so if you want to keep your preacher, uh, remember some of some of these things for sure. Uh, let's go ahead and get to our last question. And uh, this is what are some of your insecurities as a preacher? So this was an interesting one. I think I got eight or nine comments. Uh, one brother says, this is a good question. I haven't really given it much thought the last few years, but here are some of my unfiltered random thoughts rattling, rattling around my brain at this moment. So buckle up. He has a lot of them. <laughs> he says, I am insecure that I'm not good enough. I think deep down, everybody, not just preachers, but I mean, we all were definitely not good enough, you know, uh, but I think I know what he means by that. But uh, also he says, I'm insecure that what I'm doing isn't making a difference and wondering if it ever will. He says he's insecure that he'll accidentally interpret something wrong and teach it improperly and effectively convince some uh, someone that two plus two equals five instead of four. He's insecure that his family is being held to a higher standard than anyone else. Uh, he's insecure that the fact that uh, now he says, uh, I'm the preacher guy, 
that it means everyone in and out of the church now treats me differently and modifies their behavior while I'm around. He yeah. says he's he's insecure about the fact that Bible studies are now harder to set up than they were when he was just a passionate Christian trying to help evangelism efforts. I'm trying to think what he means by that one. Um, I don't know. Sometimes, have you ever had this effect, or have you ever had this happen, Michael, where uh, you're kind of just shooting the breeze with somebody, and they ask, well, what do you do for a living? And you're like, well, I'm a preacher. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh. And they kind of just stop talking. Is that a pretty common phenomenon? It it happened to me the more I got involved in the community. Uh, for example, I, I coached rec league uh, for three years in local work. And a lot of times the parents uh, would be sitting around. And they'd be talking to me. And they'd feel very comfortable. And we they wouldn't do the classic. I had this happen too. But they wouldn't do the classic, you know. They let out a curse word or say something like a, an unsavory joke or story. That wouldn't happen every time. And then they say, what do you do for a living? But th- there were inevitably times where uh, there was kind of a coldness where if I told them what I did for a living, it's like all of a sudden there was a distance put up. Um, or every time we would talk from something, you know, from that point forward, it was – uh Oh, the preacher man says this or what, you know, there's a stigma behind it. Like, well, the man of God said this, you know, or, or if I went to the, the community, if anything spiritual needed to happen, they would just look and say, what's the pastor have to say about this? So yeah, there are, there are ways that you're treated differently. You're the always the one, you you're always the one that gets asked to lead the prayer or whatever. Right. Which is, I mean, that's, that's fine. That's no big deal, but it, I don't know. I just, sometimes I feel like people think that, we think that we're better than them. And if we have the humility we're supposed to have, we definitely do not think that. Um, but I guess sometimes people think, oh, preacher, he must think he's better than me. A- am I right thinking that? I, I think there's some merit to that because sometimes we we can say something. Like I, I said something once. I didn't even think it was that big of a statement, but I made the statement that, uh, you know, used car salesmen oftentimes can be called crooks. And I think that's a pretty commonly you know, known thing that people say about used car salesmen. Please tell me you didn't say that to a used car salesman. I said it from the pulpit, which is worse, oh, okay. I think. Um, <laughs> because the the law of averages and statistics bear out that the more people you say it to, the more likely you're going to hit somebody that is or knows one. Right. Well, I had a few people come up to me afterwards and they said some things that indicated that they knew of some used car salesmen that didn't appreciate what I had said. And they thought that I was saying I was better than the used car sales. And that wasn't my intent. Right. My intent was to say, you know, I think we have some people out there that uh, with when it comes to spiritual matters, they are going to tell you one thing and do another. Like a used car salesman sometimes will do. Uh, yeah. the, you know, the devil himself transforms into an agent of light, angel of light. So, I mean, there, there's going to be some similarities made. But, yeah, I, I think sometimes that's the problem because we have to stand up and act like we have it together is what the people think about us, at least, that we think we have everything figured out and all this. When in reality, we're just as nervous preaching it as we would be listening to it. Oh, yeah. Because whether it's true or not, we still know that people have to accept it as the truth and then change and they're not guaranteed to do that. And so I, I had some people say to me in local work, you know, well, you just think you're better than us because you, you're a man of God. 
well, no, I've never felt that way. I've never tried to carry myself that way. And if I've ever given that impression, I am sorry. It is not my intention to yeah. do that. Uh, I, made the, yeah. I made the mistake one time of uh, using the expression curse like a sailor in uh in a sermon and then i followed it up probably a couple months later with uh talking about the sins of corinth and how it was a port city and there was lots of sailors coming through and there's lots of uh sins that many of the sailors were committing and this one brother goes you know you've got a lot of members of the navy in that audience why are you saying that and i was like first of all i was like come on you know what i meant i didn't mean it as a derogatory thing by any means i love I love my country and I love all those who serve in the armed forces. Uh, but we really do need to try to be careful when we're crafting sermons and Bible classes and things that we try to keep those kind of things in mind. Cause I've had to, you know, kind of like you uh, with the used car salesman thing, I, I kind of had to learn the hard way that sometimes uh, you will not mean anything bad at all, but you might offend somebody. So we just need to be careful about that. The big, the biggest thing to to make known too is there's one key phrase that has to be in in the mind of every preacher. Clarifying statements matter. Yes, and if you will clarify what you're trying to say, because there have been just like there are doctors that have been bad, there are nurses that have been bad, there have been used car salesmen out there that have done their job incorrectly and taken advantage of people. But it doesn't mean that every one of them are that way, right? So well, you have and to be careful not to be so broad. And another important thing about clarifying statements is. Uh, sometimes some people with not the best intentions and motivations, troublemakers, they'll try to, uh, nitpick your sermons and they will try to, uh, print out a transcript of your sermon. And then they'll take little snippets of what you said completely out of context. And they'll twist what you said to try to paint you in a, in a bad light. Yeah. That can happen too. So clarifying statements definitely are important because when we, Absolutely. when we make our living with words, uh, you have to be careful with what words you use. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's continue onward. It says, uh, he says, I am insecure about how I feel like I have been equipped for warfare and that more often than not, I have to raise my shield against my allies more so than my enemies. Yikes. Yeah. That That's, uh, sometimes that does happen. Uh, he says, I'm insecure about just simply wanting to be a faithful servant, and no one is okay with accepting that for what it is. Um, anyways, it goes on, but we've got we to keep moving. Yeah. Um, let's see here. One brother says, I think many times the problem is that as a whole, we are not there for each other. So many times preaching brethren would rather criticize and condemn rather than build up and encourage their fellows and that may be the heart of many of our insecurities. Another brother says, I'm insecure as a sermon writer. I fear that my lessons won't connect, that I won't communicate just what I intend to say, and that I may overthink or underthink a passage of Scripture. That goes back to what I was just saying. When we make our living with words, we have to be extremely careful with those words that we choose. Yeah. Uh, whether whether a preacher preaches from his manuscript or not, or his outline or what have you, some, some guys are no outline preachers, quote-unquote. But they still crafted a sermon uh, before they got up and, and spoke without notes, and they chose their words very carefully. And there's a reason that we have to do that. Absolutely. Um, this brother says, I'm insecure about my relationship with the congregation as I have been fired abruptly twice following secret meetings. Mm. 
terrible. Uh, the men just met here while I was on vacation. They are renewing my contract, and I want to be excited about that, but I haven't gotten any feedback about any criticisms that may have been discussed. Uh, since I know I'm not perfect, I really would rather know than to have criticism withheld and it all uh, come out when someone else gets mad at me. So that kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, that one guy that every year he had a list of complaints read to him. I think that's overkill. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you want to like just read complaint after complaint after complaint. But if there is really a legitimate and serious complaint, I think any preacher who really cares is going to want to know uh, to make sure that we can improve where we need to improve. Well, and that's where, you know, one one time an elder said to me, you, you say a lot in the pulpit, you need to do this. We need to do, or um, y'all need to do this. He said, might be better to say we. And I, I at first was offended by that because I thought, but you, I'm talking to you. But then I realized what he was trying to say is it will come across better if I realize and make people realize, hey, I've got to do this stuff too. And it's okay for me to have to admit from the pulpit that this is the case. Now, I will say that I had another situation, though, too, where um, insecurity as a preacher, I had a situation once where I was struggling with something. Just the devil was trying to make me think, you know, God didn't care about me. Just some stuff that had happened. And so I thought, you know what? I need to to do what I've been told and and preach on that subject. Make sure that I'm I'm reminding myself of the hope that God provides me. And I got up and I made the statement, and this is probably where I made the mistake. I said, brethren, I just I want to covet your prayers here. I've been struggling with some things, and I'm going to preach this sermon because I need to hear this sermon first and foremost. And no one in the congregation checked up on me after that. And that that hurt because it felt like I had just, you know, bore all that I was struggling and I needed help and needed prayers. And it was almost like I didn't even say it. And so the, the biggest insecurity, I sometimes sit there and I, I wonder, have I made a difference? You know, am I am I actually being effective? Uh, because I've, I've said this before on my podcast and maybe even on others, but sometimes you get that sermon prepared and you get that sermon ready. And it's for a specific problem that just happens to do with a specific family or a member of the congregation. The elders have requested and you get there that Sunday morning and you're ready to preach it. And the devil told them to take a vacation. They're not there. And then it's like, well, great. And so you have to pocket that sermon and you wait and you wait. And then when they finally are there and you get up to preach, they're not paying attention. And and you just kind of sit there and go, am I actually doing anything? And sometimes you don't really know how much you've done until you've left. The, the last local work, I, I don't feel bad talking about this, but the last local work that I did, I struggled my last year there thinking that I wasn't being effective, that I wasn't doing a good enough job. Uh, for just a various amount of reasons. A lot of it was my own problems that I was trying to struggle through and figuring out how to do it and make it work. And when I announced that I was leaving, there was a part of me that thought, man, probably a lot of people are glad that I decided to leave. And then we got to the the meal that they did for me before I left and just person after person stood up and said things that I'd, I wasn't expecting. Um, about how we had helped them, my family or my preaching. The, and it's not about me, but I walked away from that feeling like, wow, okay, even though I didn't see it, what I did did make a difference for the people that I, I was able to reach. And 
a lot of what we struggle with with insecurities when we don't know if we're doing enough, we're not going to know until we either leave that place or the day of judgment comes. And that's a struggle. So I think sometimes it might be good, like we talked about with the elders earlier. Hey, members, encourage your preacher. I've got a card on my shelf still over here um, from a family that I love dearly that on Clergy Appreciation Day sent me a card saying, we know you're not a clergy, but you're a preacher and what you do matters. And they often did stuff like that for us. And I think that's a, a huge benefit that we need to to kind of bring back. Definitely. Um, that's one of my struggles is sometimes you do feel like, am I being as effective as, as I want to be, you know? And I think that that's the devil trying to convince us that we're not. And it's not, not to toot our own horn. Um, that's not what I mean by this at all. It's, it's not a, uh, look at me and look what I'm doing. No, uh, we we have a genuine desire to help the brethren and teach them the truth. And if, you know, we should, if we don't have that and it's just about a paycheck, then we're right. we're uh, in the wrong place. But um, sometimes we do wonder. And, you know, sometimes we see uh, brethren struggle and we all struggle with sin. But sometimes we see brethren and, and you want to just do something to force them to get right because you know we're preaching the things that we know that they need to hear because they're they're not doing right or what have you and sometimes you see brethren just outright not just struggle but fall away and you right. stop seeing them and that to me is one of the most difficult part of preaching because of the emotional roller coaster you know we we mentioned that last episode roller coaster that's what it is the emotional roller coaster and highs and lows of the good moments but then also these bad moments like brother so-and-so he's fallen off the wagon he's not faithful right now you care about those people if you're if you're the preacher you should be then you really care about those people and you know you're coming up with sermons that you know is going to help those people and then they turn around and and they leave the lord it is absolutely heartbreaking so that's that's one of my insecurities is just wondering am i am i being effective am i really helping people or not um Another brother says, uh, I fear I'm doing everything wrong. Mm. This brother's probably, and and I sometimes am like this, he's probably the type of guy, the type of personality that overanalyzes everything, second guesses his own every move, uh, every sermon he preaches, perhaps he's thinking, man, was that was that a good sermon or not? Did I, did I get that right? Did I, you know, sometimes we can second guess ourselves to death. And I'm afraid that maybe this brother is, is struggling with that. Uh, another brother chimed in under that comment and said, this, 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 a million times over, I feel this. In other words, he's he's a guy who's second-guessing himself. You know, am I in the right line of work, he might be thinking. I, I don't know, but we need to be mindful of this as, just as Christians in general. Your preacher might be struggling with things like this, and if he is, these little things of encouragement like we're talking about, that might be just enough to get him over the hump and encourage him to keep moving forward. Um, I'll add this. This is one I put in the comments. Uh, for me, I fear running out of sermon ideas, losing interest from the members when I'm up there preaching and they've got their arms crossed. And, well, you know, we're bored with you, preacher. Sometimes I'm insecure about something as simple as that. Uh, not being fresh in the pulpit. These are all th- struggles 
in the mind of a preacher that I, I think it's important for Christians to to be aware of. Michael, you got any thoughts on any of those, or maybe one for your um, one of your own? Yeah, I always felt, and I don't say this because it's it's been true from my my dad himself, but being the son of what many would call a very well known preacher, and then going into that same field feels a lot like trying to be a quarterback after you know the the legendary guy has retired and maybe you're his son and you're trying to then play the sport uh and i see a lot of that going on right now in colorado with shador sanders and dion uh where he's being compared to the greatness of his dad and there are other other athletes uh, for the steelers right now their rookie cornerback joey porter jr uh, his dad not just played in the nfl but also for the steelers and won a super bowl with them so I think there's a there's an insecurity sometimes where I look at it and I go, have I carved out my own name as a man of God that is preaching the gospel and is on his own merit doing that, not just riding the coattails or trying to fit into the shoes that I don't even fit into with my dad? Because my dad's been preaching for decades more than I have. And a granddad as well. Yeah. So, I mean, like I've got I've got these two guys in front of me that are very good at what they do, and they've been doing it a lot longer than I have. And I'm thankful that neither one of them have ever for a moment put me into a position where they made me feel like if I didn't match what they have accomplished, that I would be less than. And I'm thankful that they realize that. And some some people often, uh, they mean well, but they, they don't think it through when they say things like, you know, well, I think one day you'll be as good as your daddy, or I think one day this or that. And that's an insecurity that I've struggled with at times and, and feeling that through and uh, that last one that you had mentioned, go back down to it real quick. I'm sorry, you scrolled up. Um, the the idea of losing ideas for the, the sermons and losing interest from the members, not being fresh enough in the pulpit. Unfortunately, we know of people who they were let go because the eldership said, we just want to change in the pulpit. And there's nothing new under the sun, meaning that if a minister stays in a congregation for longer than 20 years, he's probably going to be running out of new sermons on topics that people love to hear. And I'm, I know we're this way where we don't preach the same sermon the same way twice, but we kind of do because it's the same material, same doctrine, same truth. Um, and so it can be hard to, you know, to, to make that work. But I, I, I think that for me, the biggest insecurity I've felt is, am I being effective and getting through to people? Are my lessons viewed as as easy to understand, or are they difficult and they can't be understood? Uh, and that's a that's a struggle. But like I said, I had the benefit when I left local work to hear that I was actually more effective than I had realized. But uh, something that we've noticed, even with the podcast network here, um, it's effective even if no one ever comes to the truth because of it. It's effective even if no one listens to it except five people because we're helping five people. And it doesn't matter if 35 people are in the pew on a Sunday where we're preaching somewhere or 3,500 are in a pew. Uh, And sure, one of those is considered to be more desirable than another. But those 35 people are still 35 souls, which represent 35 worlds, if you will, that we have the chance to preach the gospel to. And they matter. And so... Uh, the insecurity of trying to be what might be called by some a well-known preacher, I think, is a, a a fear of a lot of our ministers. There are people that we're going to meet on the day of judgment that we don't know, 
and they're going to be some of the best servants. And we're going to wonder after getting to know them a little bit, I think, man, how did I never hear about this guy? Because he was just a faithful child of God that never happened to land on the lecture circuit or the gospel meeting circuit. And he did his work faithfully. And that's all that counted. Yep. So may I offer a suggestion for any, maybe there's congregations where their preachers been, been there a while enough. I know, uh, one preacher that I'm thinking of that I love dearly and did an excellent job from from what I can see. Uh, I think he was let go somewhere year ten because well, just time for a change. You know, we love you. You're an awesome preacher. You've helped us so much, but we're just ready for something new. Instead of doing that, my suggestion would be: Why don't we do something like this? Why don't you keep that preacher if he's really done a great job and has helped you? Why don't you keep him and why don't you hire a second preacher? And maybe you transition that second new preacher into the pulpit a little bit, a little bit more, and you let the the preacher who's been with you for a long time continue to preach occasionally. Um, but you also kind of keep him around for some other things that he's really good at, his personal evangelism, his his visitation, etc. Why don't you go ahead and hire next uh, a second preacher, but you keep that other preacher as well because you appreciate him so much and and his contributions. To the congregation, if he's been there ten years, chances chances are there's probably a good reason why why he's been there so long. He's probably yeah. helped your congregation a, a lot. Don't just throw him out, uh, yeah. because it can be difficult to sometimes get another uh, uh, equivalent preaching job, depending right. on the situation. and And he's gonna he's gonna have his preferences, etc. So, how about you just keep him? I think that would be helpful um, for something for uh, maybe elders to consider when it comes to that. Absolutely. Well, Michael, I appreciate you uh, helping us with this episode and appreciate Jameson who was on here earlier as well. This has been a really long episode, but we knew that it was going to be that uh, going in such a, a hefty topic dealing with these various questions as it pertains to preachers. So I appreciate the listener. If you're still with us for tuning in for this long episode, uh, but it is a special episode, and uh, it's near and dear to my heart, and I hope that it is to you as well. Uh, Michael, would you mind coming back maybe one more time to help us with another one of these episodes? Absolutely. Enjoy it. Yeah, I've enjoyed these very much. And again, we've we've gotten some good feedback on, on uh, the first episode that we put out, and I hope that this episode will be helpful as well. We appreciate you so much, the listener, tuning in to the Everyday Christian Podcast, and we hope that you will come back and join us again next week.